Welcome to Africa Calling, a weekly Africa-centered podcast on news and features from around the continent by our correspondents throughout Africa. Hello and welcome to episode 18 of the Africa Calling podcast on February 19th, 2021. I'm Laura Angela Bagnetto. We'll be hearing about the top stories from the African continent, including our correspondence and reports on the ground. We're talking about the latest on the Ebola outbreak in West Africa. We'll find out about a Zanzibari politician suspected death from COVID-19, even though Tanzania continues to deny the virus's existence. We'll take a renewed look at an activist murder in the Democratic Republic of Congo as RFI investigates. And finally, take a musical walk back in time with our correspondent in Douala, who speaks to vinyl record shop owners and record lovers alike. But first, a short recap of this week's news. Voters in Niger go to the polls on Sunday once again to pick from either ruling party contender Mohamed Bazoum or former president Mahman Usman in an election runoff. Chad will deploy some 1,200 troops to the tri-border region of Niger, Burkina Faso and Mali to reinforce soldiers already there, as France mulls a pullout of 5,100 troops in the Sahel in the fight against jihadists. Rwandan Paul Rusesabagina, known as the real-life hero of the movie Hotel Rwanda, who saved thousands during the 1994 genocide, went on trial in Kigali for terrorism charges on Wednesday amidst calls for his release. He was abducted in the Gulf and brought to Rwanda illegally for trial. Nigerian President Mohamedou Buhari has dispatched security chiefs to Kagara Town in Niger State to coordinate a rescue mission for hundreds of students abducted by gunmen late Tuesday. Correspondence call. In Guinea, Health Minister Remy Lama announced at the beginning of the week that a nurse had died of Ebola in Guake, a town on the border with Liberia and Cote d'Ivoire. Ebola, an often deadly hemorrhagic fever, ravaged West Africa from 2014 to 2016, primarily in Liberia, Sierra Leone, and Guinea, killing more than 11,300 people. Lama said that Guinea now has the tools to deal with the outbreak and has identified more than 100 contact cases in Zurichor City in the southeast, as well as 10 in Conakry, the capital. Correspondent Karim Kamara is in Conakry and has more on the story. What has brought about the new outbreak of Ebola this time again in the same area as the original case in 2014? Well, the exact cause is not yet known concerning this new outbreak. But the Minister of Health has just dispatched health officers to the area uh, to find out uh, the real cause. According to the man in charge of um, the Guinean National Health Security, Dr. Sakoba Sako, he pointed out some factors saying that it could be one of those. Either somebody and must have traveled from the DR Congo and to Guinea with the sickness, or somebody initially cured from Ebola during the first outbreak will still have the symptom uh, in, in, in the spam, or it is a new Ebola outbreak. But it all came to light after a nurse, you know, in one of the health centers in the town of Kwake, fell ill and died. What is the government doing to stop the spread of Ebola? 
The government has taken up some um, series of measures to curtail the spread of Ebola. Like, for example, the president, Alpha Conde, announced series of measures. All burial ceremonies and they must stop. And then that only few people are allowed to bury the dead ones. That's one. Two, and all periodical markets have also been stopped. And people are not allowed to regroup more than ten. There will be only five, like five people together to see them. And police and oil securities and health officers are now in the town and then to make sure that these laws are put in place. And the town has completely been blockaded. So nobody's allowed to go in and nobody's allowed to, uh, to leave. Uh, the, the regional capital center, which is, which is Zerikuri, and they are also, again, um, lot of security measures have been taken there and because we had some like report there saying that one person has also died and then also and one person has also been detected to have an um, Ebola. Oh wow now as this is near the Liberian border are they going to close the border as well? Well when you talk of Kwake it is between Liberia border and then that of Ivory Coast. But now the Liberian government seems to have taken measures, at least according to information we've got here in Conakry, they say they've dis- they themselves have dispatched health officers to the border to make sure that um, people are coming from Guinea to, to Liberia are well checked and to make sure that um, they have a medical report and all the rest. And likewise on, on the side of the Ivorian border as well. You guys already had to go through Ebola and now we have COVID-19. I mean, how do people feel? Well, the people are really um, jittery, but um, I could, well, the government have just called on Guineans to say, look, there's no need to panic, that we have the capacity and we have the knowledge and to put quickly and uh, behind us um, this new outbreak of, of Ebola. But people are not that very much assured of um, the assurances given by the government. We have seen that the um, government have dispatched um, some health officers to the area with, with lots of equipment and, to, and probably will get um, this vaccination coming from the World Health Organization, which will be taken to the affected area. In the past, there's been some issues in Guinea about vaccinations. There's been some problems. Do you think that people will accept these Ebola vaccinations now? The, the Ebola and Corona vaccinations, they, they, they'll, they'll surely accept it because, and um, as we speak now, and uh, like in Kwake, where we have this and um, the outbreak of Ebola, there are a lot of sensitization going on, either on national and local radios and then by traditional leaders and all the rest, people on the street, and even and um, by members of the civil society movement, they're on the, they are on their legs to make sure that um, people accept the vaccinations and them um, so that um, this we could just put behind us um, the Ebola and Corona as, and as well. So and. Um, we have no time when it will be when this vaccination campaign will start, but we are expecting vaccines into into the country at any time from now. Part of the preventative measures for COVID nineteen are hand washing, which is also important when you're trying to deal with Ebola. Do you think that things will be easier for the people in Kwake because they already have to uh, respect social distancing and COVID nineteen measures, and now they have to deal with Ebola? Not only for the people in Kwake, even in Conakry here, people are getting confused over the issue because you wash your hands and then you try to keep social distancing between you and whosoever you might want to talk to. So for them, they feel that um, the issue has doubled and for, they've got double worries on national television and every and, and radio station you open, you hear people advising and uh, citizens to take care, to accept uh, the health measures given out um, by the state and even um, by the Ministry of Health to make sure that um, we, we together accept and to put uh, this corona issue and also and the Ebola issue behind us. But it is really something that's very difficult and people are really don't, really don't know really what they are going to was. That was correspondent Kareem Kamara in Conakry. The WHO announced that vaccines are expected to arrive in Guinea this weekend and inoculation could start as soon as Monday.
The last outbreak in West Africa needed a significant humanitarian response. International NGOs, foreign governments and UN agencies worked alongside governments to get the outbreak under control. RFI's Daniel Finnan takes a look at how some organizations are already mobilizing resources. The last outbreak in Guinea was simply too much for the authorities in Conakry. Besides treating Ebola patients, many other elements had to be in place to stop the spread of the deadly virus. One such part of this was safe burials. Traditional burials had in part helped infections continue. We spoke to the International Federation of the Red Cross and Red Crescent, who are already helping to put this in place in Guinea. Here's Dr. Aisha Fall, a regional health manager. You've mobilized volunteers with the Red Cross. So what will these teams be doing in Guinea to deal with the Ebola outbreak? You, you, you know, we, from last Ebola outbreak and also from the COVID-19 pandemic, we have uh, trained 800 volunteers so far. Those uh, teams you know, train on SDB, you know, safe and dignified barrier. We, we have volunteers trained on collecting post-mortem sam- sample and also volunteers for disinfections of um, houses and um, like public places. Safe burials is one of the major issues for an Ebola outbreak as we saw last time with the outbreak in 2014 to 2016, have the communities in the area got the message about this? Because, as we understand, this outbreak was actually exacerbated by a traditional burial that took place after the first case. Yes, uh, unfortunately, and um, that's why uh, it's it's critical right now. We we are uh, monitoring together with us partner and uh, WHO in country and all uh, national part, uh, authorities. But we we may have more than, for instance, the current number of uh, of contacts because of uh, what you've said this burial issue. But uh, again, um, we will uh, engage with communities. We will uh, be with them, we will explain them, we will uh, try to get them, uh, as, as I said, part of, as a key, key role player. Uh, and by doing so, we will ensure that they can contribute to the, to the response and it will be very, very, very good for, 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 uh, as a strategy. How worried are you about the fact that this comes at the same time as the COVID-19 pandemic? It makes it more challenging as uh, COVID-19 has already created uh, negative, uh, I mean, impacts both at the community level and also at the health, in the health systems. All health workers are overwhelmed already. Facilities, the health facilities are also overwhelmed in terms of capacities. And uh, if you add uh, now Ebola, it will be more challenging. Do you know if the Red Cross is also getting ready in Liberia and Côte d'Ivoire? Because the area where the outbreak was identified is very close to the border of those two countries. Yes, uh, Red Cross is already... Uh, planning 
in Liberia and Sierra and uh, Cote d'Ivoire. Also, uh, more than that in Mali, in uh, Senegal, and also in Sierra Leone to to get ready for, for preparedness and early, even early response, if you can say that, to make sure that um, they they will not. In case we don't uh, wish that, but in case uh, the virus. Uh, is there, they are ready to respond and to limit the, the spread, its spread and the negative consequences. So that means also, uh, sorry, we include uh, uh, close surveillance at the borders, community-based surveillance, because our volunteers are already trained. So they, they, we have uh, enough tools and, uh, I mean, skills on the ground to make sure that uh, preparedness and early action, early response is there when something happens. Dr. Aisha Fal there in Dakar. According to the World Health Organization, this outbreak started with a nurse who didn't get properly diagnosed after visiting two health centers. She then went to a traditional healer before dying and been buried in a traditional ceremony, which likely helped spread the virus. Separately, in the Democratic Republic of Congo, health authorities in the east of the country have confirmed two cases of Ebola. The cases were found near Butembo in North Kivu, the scene of a previous outbreak. RFI's Kiswahili service on the line. Moving to East Africa now, in Tanzania. Saif Sharif Hamad, a veteran politician and first vice president of the Zanzibar Archipelago, died in hospital on Wednesday. He had tested positive for COVID-19. The government has claimed that Tanzanians banished the deadly virus with the power of prayer and have refused to acknowledge that it is present in the country. But an official in Hamad's Act-Wazalendo opposition party reportedly said that he died of COVID-19. Earlier this month, the Medical Association of Tanzania did admit there had been a spike in the numbers of patients with breathing difficulties being admitted to hospitals around the country. We have reporter Victor Abuso from RFI's Kiswahili service in Nairobi to tell us more about the subject. Victor, can you give us the latest on the death of Zanzibar's first vice president, Saif Sharif Hamad? This was a surprise. Yes, indeed, uh, Laura. No one expected that such uh, devastating news could come out of uh, Zanzibar. But uh, the Zanzibari president uh, on Wednesday uh, morning announced that the first vice president, Saif Sharif Hamad, had died at the Muhimbili uh, Hospital. Uh, you will recall that he was hospitalized uh, three weeks ago when he contracted coronavirus, him together with his uh, wife and uh, some of his aides. It's uh, news that uh, no one expected uh, at a time uh, when a lot of people uh, in Tanzania are indeed uh, living with fear are not knowing exactly what is happening because uh, they do not have enough information on coronavirus and the authorities in Tanzania have always been saying that the virus was defeated through prayer. So if some Zanzibar is uh, in a morning mood uh, since Wednesday morning. Was the cause of death given? We know he went into the hospital with COVID-19, but was any statement released about that by the government or by Act Wazalendo party? Both uh, the Zanzibar president and the ACT Wazalendo have not spoken uh, about what killed uh, the first vice president. 
people are just suspecting that uh, maybe he might have died uh, because uh, of the coronavirus, but uh, the SCT Ozendo Party chairman Zuberi Zitokabwe has been speaking uh, about this um, unfortunate news, and he said that uh, he himself was in the hospital on Wednesday morning, and he saw Mr. Hamad recovering very well, uh, but unfortunately he died. But he did not explain uh, further what might have killed him. Do you believe things are going to change in terms of how Zanzibar is going to deal with COVID-19, perhaps break away from how it's, uh, it's being not dealt with on the mainland? Yes, indeed, uh, Laura, that's going to change. Uh, we might not hear anything uh, concrete from uh, the authorities there, but we expect that uh, individual people in Zanzibar, but also in mainland Tanzania, are going to take more seriously uh, that the virus is still in the country. We have had such leaders as Zito Kabwe uh, even releasing video announcements saying that uh, Tanzanians should take uh, seriously about this uh, the coronavirus because it's killing people, even though it has been described in Tanzania as a serious uh, pneumonia. Recently, uh, the authorities there said that uh, some people had gone out of Tanzania and brought in uh, this virus, and uh, the only message they had to the people is that they should steam themselves and also pray, uh, saying that uh, they are sure the coronavirus will be defeated. So let's look forward. There is a seven-day period of mourning, but um, because Zanzibar is government is somewhat different from mainland Tanzania, even though it's part of the country, how are they going to go ahead with picking a new first vice president? What happens with that? In Zanzibar, you remember that after political conflicts that happened a few years ago, the constitution was changed, and it was agreed that when one party wins an election, the second runners-up will come in as the first vice president. And uh, in the last year's election, uh, Malim Saif uh, became uh, the, the runners-up, even though the elections were disputed. At this point in time, it's difficult to say what will happen because uh, the party that became second, the SCT was Alendo, the contestant has now died. What will happen? Maybe what we are expecting to see is that uh, the candidate that became third in the election might now be the first vice president, but we are still waiting to see if it will indeed happen. Just an, an anticipation. Uh, as you know, uh, Zanzibar and Tanzania, the ruling CCM has dominated the politics for so long, and uh, it not surprise many if uh, President Ali Hassan Mwinyi decides to uh, rule by himself for the next five years. Zanzibar has historic ties to Oman with a lot of travel between the island and the Gulf. On Monday, Dr. Ahmed bin Mohammed bin Obaid al-Saidi, Oman's health minister, said officials were considering suspending flights after nearly 20% of travelers coming from Tanzania tested positive for COVID-19. Africa Calling, produced by Radio France International. A new investigation by RFI in the Democratic Republic of Congo has uncovered more details about the killing of a renowned rights activist. Over 10 years ago, Floribert Chibea and his driver were killed, but nobody has ever truly been brought to justice. RFI's Daniel Finnan has more. 
The murder of Floribert Chebeya and his driver Fidel Bazana was big news at the time. Chebeya was particularly critical of rights abuses under then President Joseph Kabila. Well, further investigation by RFI has established that these murders were carried out on orders that came from the very top of the Congolese security forces. We spoke to Sonia Rolle in Kinshasa, who's been digging into the case. Tell us a little bit more about your investigation. From the sources that you spoke to, it sounds like the murder of Chibaya and Bazana was ordered right from the top of the security forces. What we have here is two new testimony in that case that was emblematic of the Kabila years. Uh, so two testimonies, this time of perpetrators themselves, agent of the police. So they are the one that really killed uh, Shebeya and Bazana. And those people, so uh, Ergili Lunga and Alain Kayeye, they received orders and they saw things that day. So we are uh, the 1st June of 2010. So they saw their superior going to General Numbi office, going down and after some time saying, like, look, General Numbi asked us to kill those two people. They don't even know who are uh, Floribert Chebeya and Fidel Bazana. They have no idea. They have no clue. They just know they have to kill them. So what we have is really like the detailed story of, of the murder from, from people who committed it and who saw things like the, the guy who is giving the order is saying we, do it, we are doing it because that's the instruction of General Numbi and General Numbi was instructed by Joseph Kabila. Why do you think they were murdered? What had these human rights defenders uncovered, do you think? Floribert Chebeya was one of the most proeminent human rights activists in the country. Uh, his organization, La Voix des Envois, have been created like during the Mobutu years. He's somebody that, has, uh, that had a lot of networks in the country. He was very courageous, Floribert Chebeya. He, he denounced everything and a lot of crimes that General Numi was suspected of. I mean, he was one of the most virulent critics in the regime. And we are... One year before the election at the time, President Kabila is really not sure he's going to have a, a second mandate. So it's, it's a very, very complicated time for Kabila's regime. Uh, so we don't know exactly what could have triggered this, this murder, but what seems to be obvious when you look at the, all the connection and all the people, it's really a crime committed by a state, a network inside the institution. As you can see, it's not only the police that is implicated, it's also the military. And those two policemen, they have escaped justice for 10 years. What's been the reaction since the publication of your investigation? Because there are some calls to reopen the case. So it was quite shocking, for example, for the family. The widow of Floribert Chebeya, she really begged President Tisekedi to reopen the trial, she was really crying and upset for, for days after that. Um, she, she was saying, like, uh, that's the truth she was waiting uh, for, for all those years. But that's what is worrying for human rights organizations in that case, is that 
the information about the murder, who is responsible, who was involved, maybe not the name of the perpetrators like Ergili Lunga and Alain Kayeye, but a lot of details of what happened that night were uncovered in the years just after the murder. But the military justice didn't really, really uncover the truth. They did accuse some of the right people, some of the colonels were involved, they were accused in that trial, but uh, most of them escape. So that's why they're asking for a new trial, because for the family, for the human rights of organization, it's obvious that murder was ordered by John Numbi. Some of them are calling for his arrest. I mean, we are in a context that President Kabila is losing power, the former president, and President Shisekedi is gaining like control over institution. And, and for those victims of uh, members of of families and, and human rights organization, it's the right time now. RFI Sonia Rolle there. In new developments since the investigation came out, Jacques Migabo was arrested in Lubumbashi. He was assistant deputy commissioner of police and one of the suspected killers. On the run for the last 10 years, he'd previously been convicted in absentia. The sources RFI spoke to for the investigation indeed identified him as one of those ordered to carry out the murders. Reports from the field. We now take a walk down a musical memory lane. In Cameroon's economic capital, Douala, music of a different generation brings joy to those who still seek out vinyl records. Vinyl from the 1980s and 90s is still in use today and is even a source of income in which a couple of people have invested their entire life. The sector's been hit hard by the coming of modern music and COVID-19, but certainly isn't dying anytime soon, as correspondent Cynthia Nguemo reports from Douala. For over 25 years, Disco St. Paul, a small old record store in Daedu, a neighborhood in the economic capital of Cameroon, has been selling tunes like Minya Mabobe by Ikambi Briand. Upon entering the store, the first thing you see is vinyl records. Nchakna Paul, the record store owner and manager, is in his 50s and owns close to 5,000 of them. Makosa, Rumba, French and American music from the 1980s and early 90s are some of the genres he carries. At first, they used to do good music. There were nice melodies. They didn't just sing for pleasure. There was a message in their music. If you compare them from before, you would see that musicians sung a melody with messages that sooner or later would impact people. Unlike today, that's not music. People like Paul, who despite all odds, have chosen to stick to old school music, a few in number. He says only three other vinyl record stores exist in the city of Douala. They all know each other and remain united in solidarity. One of the last men standing is Valdano. He owns Valdano Music, a record store in Aqua Douala, about two kilometers from Daido. He's been doing business for almost 30 years, 
Here's Walter Lu. At first, we used to survive by selling vinyl records. It was profitable. You could do business with it. But it's no longer the case today. Chamake Alain is a fervent lover of old music and a regular customer, Valdano Music's best client. He also believes that this category of music, now analog, remains the greatest as it has stood the test of time. When I listen to old songs, it reminds me of my youth. It was well done, the bass, guitar, drums. Today, someone just sits behind his computer and does everything. Back then, they went to the studio, they worked, they practiced. While listening to François Misengo's Eyande Longue at Valdano's store, Alain proclaims how good an artist he is. He says Misengo is one of his favorite artists today when it comes to old Makosa, an urban music style from the 80s. First of all, I grew up with their music. I will always love their songs, even when I'm old. It can be Briant, Toto Guillaume, Missing Francois, Ekangi Emile. I love them because they work so well. Now the success stories are just memories. Today the businessmen go for days and even weeks without receiving any customers. And seeing some people's pain leads to others' gain, it is quite a fruitful time for Lobe Toto, a businessman in his 20s. He makes a living by downloading music videos and audio from the internet and selling to his customers like this track from Avero Jazz titled Lunyama. In the ancient Troisième neighborhood of Douala, where he works, it is a typical business. Here in the digital music business sector, Daily work tools are computers, smartphones, USB keys, memory cards, loudspeakers, and of course, an internet modem like on Toto's work table. If there is one thing both the modern music vendors and record store owners have in common, it is that the coronavirus pandemic has damaged their business. Toto says it has caused him to lose customers. Since the beginning of the coming of coronavirus, I made it, uh, our business very difficult because nowadays coronavirus has disturbed a lot. They have blocked the economy, the economy has dropped down. People are normally coming to come and download. Most of them are doing the download in the house. It's difficult. Very difficult. They have slowed down our business. When asked why they stay in the vinyl records business, both Paul and Valdano say they have no other option because it is what they know best and they love the sound of artists like Coty Francois and his Black Steel Moissa. Here's Valdano. We are here because we have nowhere else to go. We don't know what else to do. To abandon it and to learn a different trade is not easy. Unprofitable as vinyl records may be today, they remain outstanding in terms of sound quality, longevity, and represent an entire generation. Reporting for RFI's Africa Calling, I am Cynthia Nguemo in Douala.
almost at the end of our program, but we have Alison Hurt in the studio. Hi, Alison. What song do you have for us today? Hi, Laura Angela. So from Cameroon of the 1970s, let's bring us right up to date, 2021, with this young Cameroonian Afropop singer. She's called Charlotte Dipanda. She's got a lovely soprano voice, very subtle melodies and lyrics. So she's got big fan base across Francophone Africa. She won the All Africa Music Awards in 2015 for her third album called Massa, and she was voted Best Artist in Central Africa. She's released four albums, and she's got a new one in the pipeline. The song I've picked this week is a romantic duet that she's recorded with the French Congolese R&B singer Singila. It's called Coeur en Cage, Heart in a Cage, but when you look at the video, it doesn't look like she's too unhappy about being in a cage with this guy. <laughs> they sing in Lingala and in French, and they've really nailed this hip-swinging blend of Makosa and Congolese rumba. I hope you enjoyed the song. Thanks for listening to episode 18 of Africa Calling. We'll leave you with Charlotte Dipanda. I'm Laura Angela Bagnetto. This episode was produced by Daniel Finnan, edited and recorded by Erwan Rome and Jan Bordelas. Goodbye for now. Mais toi tu ouvres une nouvelle page, bébé Mon amour, je te promets D'être cette épaule sur laquelle tu peux te poser quand tout va mal Faudra me pardonner Si je manque d'écoute, fais-moi juste un peu la morale Au nom de moi, mi l'ami, encore